0: Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. Y'all want to know what the fuck this show's done for me? What has it done for me lately? Do you really want to know? Oh, ooh, 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 yeah. I'm going to tell you. I used to stutter a lot. I mean, I still do. And I get in the points where I'll, like, get a word stuck in my head, and I'll just go over it over and over and over again. And this show has actually helped me to slow down. My speech. When you're a podcaster. And you're a podcaster. Like I'm a podcaster. Sometimes. You'll be on a show with other people. Where you got to get in. Where you fit in. Like you got to get your words in. My internet bestie. My brother from another mother scar. He's just like me. We talk a mile a minute. And if you can't get in. you If you can't get down. You bound to drizz out. So I'd talk quick. Talking quick doesn't work when you're reading though. And so I would stutter and stumble over words. And it would be so infuriating that I will have to just pause. And slow down and really breathe and think about what I'm saying. It's also helped me to learn that I make mistakes. And that I have to be okay with those mistakes. I mean, y'all don't know about the motherfuckers. I'd never actually let them play out in the show. Unless I was doing it on purpose. But... You know, it helped me to realize that I'm not perfect, or as perfect as I thought I was. I know my shit stunk, but I only thought it stunk for like a second. Y'all shit stinks for like ever. Mine is on like poof, and then it's gone. Anyhow, we're on chapter 59. Uh, we're 81% done with this book, but as you know, if you've been riding with me, first of all, thank you so much. Um numbers ain't nothing but a, a suggestion when it comes to these books because we were 81% done with the coldest winter ever and that shit just stopped at like 83 had me reading a 10 minute chapter like what the fuck am I supposed to do in my life now ugh that book so we gonna see chapter 59 what's bothering the monk is one way's John the Baptist routine Monk strides through the streets of Laguna, searching out this whack job who predicted the return of Bobby Z. Monk just can't get it out of his head, because it smacks of powers cosmic and supernatural. Which, of course, is the very stuff that the Monk decisively dismissed that warm morning in Tucson. So Monk is desperate to hear a rational, scientific explanation exhaled from the otherwise foul breath of Laguna's resident bard and public nuisance. But just at the unprecedented moment that someone in the community actually wants to see One Way, the perverse madman has seemingly disappeared. Just dropped off the screen. The cops and the merchants are delighted, of course. One Way's sudden disappearance being an event devoutly and daily wished for by the entire law enforcement and business communities. Even the other street people are relieved by One Way's absence. Because a loony fucker just, like, can't shut up. So they welcome the unusual quiet. They all have different explanations for the disappearance. The cops, and one of them even got on the horn of radio comrades in Dana Point and Newport Beach, are betting that one-way's decomposed body will wash up on the beach or become entangled in the nets of the commercial fishermen off Dana Point. The merchants are speculating that One Way has migrated south to the larger vagrants community in San Diego's Balboa Park. The street people, generally a more imaginative lot, are at the point of deciding that One Way has been abducted by aliens. The only point of debate being whether or not One Way put up any struggle. But none of the above are obsessed with the mystery. The street people have the daily challenges of food and shelter to obtain, The merchants are busy doing mercantile things with the throngs of tourists descending on the town. And the cops? Well, the cops are having a busy day keeping an eye on the unusual influx of bikers into the community. The cops are always wary of any confrontation between motorcycle gangs and the town's large gay community, which will present them with the double dilemma of A. How to tell them apart and B. Who to root for. The cops are also freaking out a little bit on an unusual increase in cars with Mexicans in them just cruising around. The Laguna cops call their brethren in Newport Beach. Jaded types who ask what the fuck they're being bothered for. And their more jejuned colleagues in Tiny Dana Point who have nervously noted the same phenomenon. So the street people are busy. The merchants are busy, the cops are very busy, and the only person obsessing on one way's apparent disappearance is the monk, who has his own explanation, which is basically like paranoid. What the monk is thinking as he's pacing around the community, not finding one way, is that Bobby's behind the whole thing. Bobby contacted one way and told the freak to spread the word of his return just to spook the monk. And not one way is in hiding somewhere at the behest of Z in a conspiracy so diabolical that Monk does not stand a prayer of unraveling it before he's undone. So the Monk is in a sweat to find one way and rattle the truth out of him before it's too late. But Monk can't find him, and Monk starts freaking. It's like Bobby's everywhere and sees everything. Monk starts thinking about how that knife just bounced off Bobby at the zoo and how Bobby flew through the air and then disappeared. And Monk starts losing it. Like he can never go against Bobby Z. And as Monk's walking around, he starts losing it worse and worse. And finally, he goes into a phone booth and drops a dime. Starts babbling into the phone some semi-coherent shit about how One Way has gone into hiding with Bobby Z. The truth is that One Way is hiding. One Way is squatting in a cave on the beach with his hands over his ears. Because the surf won't stop talking to him. The surf won't stop talking and the sunlight reflecting off the uneven surface of the cave wall sparkling, shifting diamond shapes before his eyes. What the surf is telling him is truly horrific. The surf is screeching that Bobby Z is in danger. Mortal danger. And one way must warn him. And one way is squatting in this cave, hiding from Z's enemies lest he be captured before he can deliver his jeremiad. And he's crying. Crying in frustration and the fear of an unfathomable failure. One way is weeping because he must find Bobby Z to rescue him, but he doesn't know where he is. Chapter sixty. Kit's pissed because Tim is leaving. It's just for a while, Tim says to the boy, who's fighting hard not to cry. Elizabeth will be with you. You're leaving, Kit insists. I'm coming right back, Tim says. I just have to talk to a guy. Kit shakes his head and closes his eyes. Come on, Tim says. You and Elizabeth will have fun. Tears spill over this time as Kit asks, Why can't I come with you? Because it's too dangerous, Tim thinks. But he doesn't want to scare the boy. It's dark out now. They've had supper and done the usual thing of settling in for some TV, some wrestling on the floor, and a comic book or two. Then they put Kit to bed, and Tim had hoped to sneak out and be back before the kid woke up. But with that eerie kid ESP, the boy had woken up, and is some fucking upset. Tim doesn't want to scare him on top of it. So Tim says... It's grown-up stuff. I can help you. You probably could. I helped you at the zoo, Kit cried. Who got the money? You did, Tim says. You're my man. So why can't I come with you? Kit cries and he throws his arms around Tim's neck and holds on hard. Tim rubs the boys back for a few seconds and whispers in his ear, I'll be back soon and pries Kit's arms from his neck and hands him to Elizabeth. Kit buries his face into her neck and sobs. I'll be back in a little while, Tim says quietly. Elizabeth nods and holds the boy tightly. Tim looks at her green eyes and sees something sad. She's hurting for Kit, he thinks. So am I, but I need to go do this thing. In the kitchen, he checks the load on his pistol and sticks the gun in the back of his waistband. Then he gets in the car and follows Elizabeth's directions to this cave they all hung out in when they were kids. He parks on a quiet side street off the PCH and follows some old concrete steps that curve down to the beach. Seems to be about a million of them, but he's edgy and wired, so it probably just seems like a lot. The steps end suddenly at a big broken hunk of concrete, and he has to make a little jump onto the sand. The beach is a narrow strand at the base of a steep sandstone bluff. There's just enough moonlight for him to see where he's going, and the moonlight is flickering off the water and the big rocks that are set just outside the brake line. The beach seems deserted. Of course, it's almost 11, and the beach is officially closed, but Tim had expected at least a few horny couples or drunks. But the beach is quiet. Tim doesn't like it feels too exposed out here when he realized he'd be an easy shot for someone sitting on the bluff with a night scope, so he finds a worn footpath on the edge of the slope to take away that firing angle if the monk is setting him up for a pop. Bad fucking idea, he thinks now, to meet in this cave. Can't blame Elizabeth because she hasn't led the life, you know, but still, the approaches to the meet are too dangerous, too exposed, and it's a bad fucking idea but too late now. He edges his way along the path until it ends back at a tiny sliver of beach on a point. The cave's in front of him. It's bigger than he thought, about ten men wide and at least ten feet high at its highest and shaped like a big bowl. He can see the faint glimmer of a flashlight in there and a person's shadow. Tim pulls his gun, holds it low on his side and goes in. His shoes crunch on the small rocks that make up the cave floor. Bobby? It's Monk's voice. Tim doesn't answer. Doesn't want his yes to be answered with a bullet in the chest. Bobby? Monk asks again. Is that you? Tim waits for his eyes to adjust to the cave's dim lights. He waits until he can clearly make out Monk. And from what he can see, Monk is alone standing alone in the cave with a flashlight in his hand and a gym bag at his feet. Hi, Monk. You are a sight for sore eyes, Bobby, Monk says, and he comes forward with his arms open for one of those guy hugs. Tim raises the gun. "Uh Uh-uh, he says, shaking his head. Oh, Bobby, Monk says, hurt and disappointed like. You're being paranoid, old friend. What's the beef with Don Huartero? Tim asks. I don't know anything about it, Monk says. I asked. I did research. I talked to all of our distributors. Nada. Say goodnight, Monk, Tim says. He points a barrel between Monk's eyes. The man's knees begin to knock. Really, actually, fucking knock. And Tim thinks it's a good thing Monk never had to go to the joint. Because he'd have been like a universal bitch, man. Everybody's girlfriend. And Tim realized that if Monk knows the truth, he's going to spill it. You fucked me, Monk, he said. You fucked me with Huartero. Didn't happen, Bobby. But his voice is getting thin and reedy. Did you jam me with the ties, too? Tim asked. Get me popped in Bangkok? Bobby. You ever see the inside of a Thai jail, old friend? Tim presses. Not a day at the beach. Bobby, I... You better get right with God, Tim says, starting to squeeze the trigger. Because you're going, Monk. Monk like freaks. Drops to his knees and starts praying. Oh my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended thee. And I do repent all my sins, not for the fears of the fire of hell, but because they have... This is not the confession Tim has in mind. So he sticks the gun in the monk's forehead and says, Talk to me, monk. Monk looks up with big eyes and says, I took the money, Bobby. I took Huertaro's money and arranged with the Thai police to arrest Huertaro's men after they picked up the dope. I split the take with the Thais, but I didn't give you up, Bobby, I swear. Why, man? Why? Tim asks. Like suddenly he's feeling like he is Bobby, and he's actually hurt. Like why did Monk have to go and fuck up a good thing? Didn't you have enough, man? Greed, Bobby, Monk says sadly. The worst of the seven deadly sins. At least you could have split it with me, Tim mutters. I wanted you to have deniability. Whatever the fuck that means, Tim thinks. Well, at least now he knows what the beef is and maybe he can make it right. How much do we owe Huartero? he asks. Three million. We got it? Monk's still sniffling, but he casually shrugs and says, Of course. Can we lay our hands on three mil cash, Tim asks. Now his voice is shaking because this is a little different from boosting TV sets and liquor. Yes, Monk says. Where? On the boat. On the boat, Tim asks. But he doesn't want to ask, like, what boat, because it sounds like he's supposed to know. So he asks, where's the boat now? Dana Point Harbor, Monk says. He starts praying again, but Tim's not listening. He's thinking if he can get his hands on the cash and get in touch with Huartero, he can give the money back and maybe take a stroll on all this. With enough cash left to have a fucking life somewhere. Like maybe he can pull this whole thing off without fucking up. So he's trying to think about how to do that when Monk finishes praying and asks, What are you going to do, Bobby? The fuck you think? Tim asks, annoyed. I'm going to try and make this right with Don Huartero. I mean, about me. Good question, Tim thinks. He knows he should get the name of the boat and then cap Monk. Like, if this the joint, he'd lose respect, terminally, if he didn't cap a guy who did what Monk did. Monk, say the truth, Tim says. Was it you set me up at the zoo? Monk's voice quakes. Yes? For you or for someone else? Tim asks. The truth. For myself, Monk says softly. Tim feels the man's body tense in anticipation. Fuck, man, Tim says. I know, Monk whispers. I have the soul of a Judas. There is a God, isn't there, Bobby? I guess. I'm ready, Bobby, Monk says. Thank you for the time to get my spiritual matters in order. Sure. Tim lowers the gun. Pick up the bag and walk, he tells Monk. Come on, get up. Really, Bobby? Take me to the boat, Tim says. Come on, Monk, move. You want me to go first? Monk asks. No offense, but I'm not real comfortable with you behind my back, Tim says. He gestures Monk forward and the tall skinny man picks up the gym bag and starts to walk. Funny thing is, the guy's knee starts knocking again. Tim thinks this is weird, but charges it to sheer relief on the guy's part until a gun burst hits Monk square on and the guy folds to the sand. Tim doesn't even think about going for the gym bag. He just hits the deck and crawls like a motherfucker back into the cave. Knows instantly why Monk's knees were knocking. Monk has set him up to leave the cave first, carrying a gym bag. The soul of a Judas. Tim waits a few seconds wondering which of his enemies is out there, then decides it doesn't matter anyway. Because in a few seconds, they'll all be down to collect the prize and will realize they got the wrong guy. And they'll be coming into the cave. Meeting at this cave, Tim thinks again, was a really shitty idea. So how the fuck to get out, Tim thinks. Always a question. Part of him wanting to just go to the front of the cave blasting away, man. He's pissed off and he's just like fucking had it. And if he's going to go out, he wants to go out like Butch and Sundance, man. Out the front, shooting into a blaze of gunfire. That's what he's feeling building up inside him. But then he told Kit he'd be back. So he stuffs his anger in and starts feeling his way back towards the other end of the cave to see if there's another way out. Feels like a chicken shit as he sneaks towards the back of the cave. Which seems pretty solid. And it's looking like it's going to be the old Butch and Sundance bit after all, when he spots a sliver of moonlight. It's a crack in the cave wall, but it isn't wide enough to walk through. He edges in sideways and feels the cold salt water come over his shoes, and then he's stuck. Great, he thinks. This might be the most humiliating fuck-up of a life of fuck-ups. And he tests the side of the wall with one shoe and finds a foothold. Sticks his gun back in his pants. Digs in with his other foot. Then stretches his arms out akimbo and finds that the cave walls bow outward. And he can work his way out by pressing hard against the wall with his hands or working his feet forward. It's taking time though. And he doesn't know if he has time. Because he hears an angry voice back on the beach yell, SHIT! And Tim figures that Gruza just realized he shot the wrong man and is probably keenly disappointed. All of which gives Tim some motivation to press forward, like literally in this case. But then the space narrows and he can't get through and he hears footsteps running up the rocks on the beach. So he starts seeing if he can climb up. Climbing up works, but it's like slow. And he can hear Gruza's cautious footsteps coming into the cave. So Tim climbs, trying not to make a fucking sound. Climbs with his feet dug into the rock and his hands pressing against the sides to hold him up and it like hurts, man. Because his arms are just straining. Thinks again about just dropping down and shooting it out with Gruza. Like do a Clint Eastwood thing and just be finished with it. Gunfight at the OK Corral, man, and it'll just go down the way it goes down. But he doesn't do it. He gets as high as he can and stops. Hangs there like some bat, man. Still as he can. His arms quivering now with the strain. And the beam of Gruza's flashlight passing around the cave like the spotlight on the prison yard. And through the crack in front of him, the moonlight is shining soft and silvery in the open water. Looking like freedom. Tim presses his hands harder against the wall. Gruza spots him up there. He'll take like a hundred years not to miss the shot. And Tim wonders now if that's what happened that night on the border. That Garuza was trying to shoot him and fucked up and killed his buddy instead. Easy mistake to make at that range at night. But why the fuck would Garuza want to grease me or Bobby? Right when he was about to make the swap for Art Moreno. Doesn't make any fucking sense, Tim thinks. One thing for sure, Garuza won't miss if he sees this shot. The bullet head motherfucker will just laugh and call me a moke and bang! Dead fucker. Chapter 61 One Way is shivering through a serious psychotic episode. He has witnessed bursts of flames blaze in the darkness that destroy Bobby's high priest. Even now, the surf begins to lick at the priest's lifeless body, and the crabs left behind by the tide start to click their ways toward the fortuitous mill. One-Way pressed himself even tighter against the soft soil of the bluff as the man comes running past. The man holding a gun. The man One-Way recalls talking to many times on the streets of Laguna. The man who always seemed legitimately interested in the story of Bobby Z. One-Way recognized the man as the one who would go into a restaurant, emerge with a grilled cheese sandwich encased in a styrofoam box, and give it to him as encouragement to tell more tales. No wonder... One way thinks now in horror. No wonder the man was so interested. One way is in serious pain. The pain shoots through his brain as if nails were being driven into his skull. He has, albeit unwittingly, betrayed Bobby. Told this man, this Caiaphas, this pilot, all about Bobby. And now the man has killed Bobby's priest and is racing into the cave to kill Bobby. And it's my fault, One Way thinks. I've sold Bobby for a grilled cheese with cottage fries and a box of non-biodegradable styrofoam that lives forever. The pain increases. One Way knows from which it comes. It's the pain of guilt, the pain of shame. The pain of failure. It's the pain of paralysis, because one way cannot bring himself to move. Cannot throw himself from these shadows into moonlight to go and fight for Z. Knows he should race after the man and throw himself on his back. Grab his arm and stay the fatal shot. Take, if necessary, the bullets meant for Z. But he's afraid. The pain of fear. One Way huddles in the shadows of the bluff, holds himself in rocks and rhythm with the waves, listens for the shot that surely must echo in the cave, the explosion foreshadowed by the relentless pounding in his brain, and knows that he'll live with that forever. Styrofoam. I am so weak, One Way thinks, and my weakness betrays Bobby Z. Then he feels the voice build inside him build like a sudden cyclone in the stomach, twirl and twist out of his mouth. He isn't responsible for it, doesn't think it, doesn't will it. It's happening on its own, not by him, but through him. The voice forces itself up through his throat just as his mouth opens and his body unwinds and moves upward like a cyclone coming up from the water. And he's standing, inexplicably on his feet, legs planted in the sand as his voice, bass and treble both to the max, holler, I see you! Chapter 62 Tim almost falls. The high-pitched, wailing scream startles him that much. Who sees who, he wonders. He doesn't think that anyone can see him, because if they could, he'd have a couple rounds in him by now. So whoever's screaming out there is either having a serious case of the DTs or is maybe yelling at Gruza. Apparently Gruza thinks so too. Because Tim hears him mutter fuck and start to gingerfoot his way out of the cave the way he came in. So Tim figures if he can hold on in this position for another minute or so he might just live to fuck up another day. Gruza He's so pissed off and confused, he can barely contain himself. For one thing, he's greased the only guy who could positively nail down where Tim Kearney is. Second, Kearney has apparently disappeared in the thin air. A Bobby Z sort of thing to do. Because he sure as hell didn't come out of the cave and he sure as hell isn't in it either. And three... Some voice comes out of fucking nowhere and starts proclaiming himself as a witness. And Grusa all of a sudden is thinking he might have to whack not one, but two people tonight. And neither of them is Tim Kearney. Gruza checks his load and starts for the sound of the voice wailing like a siren. Chapter 63 Tim works his way towards the moonlight. It's like some obstacle course, only the most sadistic marine DI could have dreamed up. And Tim's muscles are maximum strained and his hands are bleeding by the time he makes to the edge of the cave and hears a shot from the beach behind him. He jumps out onto the beach, which like water by now, because the friggin' tides come in. The beach, this little cape, is all rock anyway. And Tim slips and falls on the slippery rocks about 300 times before he comes onto a footpath that leads back up towards the top of the bluff. He staggers up. Tired and scared because he knows Garoos is on top of him now, and he isn't going to have time to work this thing out. As he works his way through the back streets and along the PCH back towards the trailer, he's trying to think of the next move. The next move is clearly like, out, man. But the problem is, how? As usual in the so-called life of Tim Kearney, the problem is getting out. The exit stage left, and he's thinking... Just bundle Kit up in a blanket or something. See if they can use Elizabeth's ride and just, like, drive, man. North or east, because Huartero's to the south and he's run out of west. So by the time he gets back to the trailer, he's made up his mind to do just that. Get Kit and Elizabeth, if she wants to come, and drive towards a Great Plain somewhere. Find some little town in Kansas or something and grow wheat. Except that when he lets himself into the trailer... Nobody's home. Kent and Elizabeth are gone. Chapter 64. Tim's lost. He's like suddenly free of everything. And he doesn't know what to do. Like Gruze is on fucking top of him again. And he has a split. And the last fucking thing he needs in the whole wide world is a woman and a kid. But that's what he wants. And they're gone. Gone in a heartbeat, man. Because they hardly took shit with him. A few of kids' clothes and his toothbrush, that's all. And the kids' comic books are still in a pile beside his bed. Elizabeth's makeup sits by the bathroom sink. Tim just wants to sit down and fucking cry, man. Go out and drop on the beach and howl his pain to the moon. Howl until Gruza comes up behind him and puts a round on the back of his head. Maybe Gruza's already got him, he thinks. Grusa comes back up the beach and figures if he can't get Tim, he'll get Tim's family. Call Tim up and cut a new deal. Grusa to do that. The DEA would do fucking anything. He knows he should split too. Take off and don't look back like now. Because maybe Elizabeth split for some other reason other than he's a hopeless dickhead. Maybe she got scared and ran. Maybe they've tripped onto the place and he's a sitting duck if he doesn't get out. But he's in that give a fuck state of mind, so he doesn't take off. What lifelong loser Tim Kearney does is he opens a fridge and pulls out three cervezas, holds the necks between the fingers of one hand, and goes and sits on the beach. Watches the silver flicker on the water, drains the beers, and goes back in for the survivors of the six pack and a bottle of tequila. Takes the phone out with him just in case they call. But he knows they're not going to call. So he's out there trying to actually drink himself to death. Your basic lack of impulse control. And doing a pretty good job of it. He's lying there on the beach. Looking up at the stars and he's laughing at himself for thinking that he could have his little family of Elizabeth and Kit and him. In some lassie come hometown in the midwest. Just laughing his ass off the loser Tim Kearney, all world fuck up, all universe loser, could pull that off. He's just laughing until he cries and cries until he passes out. Comes to when an acrid foul smell jolts him awake. When he opens his eyes, there's this goat bending over him, grinning at him. He smells the goat before he sees him. Just smells the smelly old goat. So he opens his eyes and, sure enough... This goat's staring down at him, and Tim's wondering what a goat's doing in Laguna Beach like unescorted when the goat starts to talk. Bobby? The goat asks. Bobby Z? Tim sees it's not really a goat, but a person who looks and smells like a goat. I'm not fucking Bobby Z, Tim says. Yes, you are. Not are. Leave me the fuck alone. But the guy starts picking him up, getting underneath his arms and saying, We have to get you out of here. My kid and my woman split, Tim says. I'm going to die here. Right. You're in danger, the guy says. And he manages to get under Tim and lift him. Starts dragging him across the beach. He drags Tim to the base of the bluffs where they're out of sight and plops him down. You gained weight, Bobby, he complains. Who are you, Tim asks. I don't remember exactly, One Way says, but they call me One Way. You're the acid casualty, Tim says. That's what they say, One Way admits. They think I'm crazy. You look like a lunatic. I am a lunatic, One Way says. He pauses with a poet's dramatic timing. But I know things. What do you know? One Way's eyes flick up and down the beach. Then his eyes sparkle in the moonlight and he smiles a sly, snaggletooth grin. I know, he says, where your unfaithful priest hid your treasure. Chapter 65. On a boat, One Way tells him. Which boat, Tim asks. There's only about 12,000 in the marina. One Way blinks his eyes rapidly. The boat, he says mysteriously. And the boat is called... The Nowhere, One Way whispers. A square rigged sloop moored in Dana Point Harbor. I watched him bring the money there. He's dead, Tim says. I know, One Way answers. I heard everything. Well, almost everything. The rest, the moon told me. Sure it did, Tim says. This is the money Monk ripped off from Don Huartero? If you say so. My kid is gone, Tim cries. My kid and my woman. We'll get them back, One-Way says soothingly. How? I don't know. Great. But we will. How do you know? Because you're Bobby Z, One-Way says. One-Way takes a blanket from his shoulders and wraps it around Tim. He lifts Tim's head and puts it in his lap and cradles him as he says, Because you're Bobby Z and the child is your son or your daughter, whatever. You have a woman and a child, and that's like life's sacred rhythm. Endless, repetitive, like the beat of the ocean, which is like you, Z. They can't stop the beat of the ocean. The surf will rise and crash, and life will be born from water. You glide on the ocean, man. From it you spring, and to it you will return. He strokes Tim's head and intones, to it you shall return, with your wife, with your son, or daughter, whatever. Then the phone rings. Chapter 66. Tim picks up the receiver and just listens, praying it's her. Just wants to find out where is my kid. Is like, my kid alright? He thinks he hears her breathing over the phone and knows she's doing the same thing, wondering who's on the other end of the line. She jumps in first. Hello? Is Kid okay? Yes. Are you okay? Yes. But it sounds tentative. He reads in her voice like, I'm okay now. But like he can feel Gruza in the background, sitting behind her, smirking. So he waits for her to go on. They have us, she says. Who does? Don Huertero. How's the boy? He repeats, because he thinks he knows what's coming. Scared, but all right, she says. He's a tough kid, you know. Yeah, I know. Tough little monkey. The kid, like, shows you something. If you don't come, Elizabeth says, they say they're going to kill him. I'll come. They'll... I know, he says. Tell them I'll come. Tell them I have their fucking money. I'm giving it back. He hears her start to talk to someone and then the someone gets on the line. Bobby Z? Yeah, Tim says. Is this Don Huertero? Never mind who this is, the guy says. Mexican accent, but sounds rougher to Tim than Don Huertaro should. You come, or we kill the kid. Where are you? Fuck you, the guy says. You think we're stupid? I can't meet you if I don't know where you are. You got the money? I got it stashed. Somewhere near the money, the guy says. Somewhere quiet. Hold on. Tim holds the phone close to his shirt and asks One Way for a quiet spot with a good view of the boat. The arches, One Way tells him. Park at the end of Blue Lantern Street. Take a left on the bluff side walk. Down a slope, across a wooden bridge over the canyon. Three concrete arches. That's all that's left of a luxury hotel got half built before the crash of 1929. You can see the boat from there. You can see everything. Tim tells the guy and says he'll be there in an hour. In the morning, the guy says, we're meeting you nowhere at night. People get dead, they approach you in the darkness, Bobby Z. Tim wants to talk to Kit, but the Mexican hangs up. They have Kit, Tim tells one way. They say they'll kill him. We'll save him. One way says. We'll give them the money and then Oneway's eyes shine in a fanatical joy. Then what? Tim asks. Then sail away, one way says. I don't know how to sail. One way smiles like a lunatic cherub. I do. Could you sell this boat? Anywhere. And you'd do that, Tim asks. Joyfully. Then One Way frowns. His smile collapses into a shamefaced grimace. There's a problem. Of course there is, Tim thinks. What's the problem? The cop. Fat cop? Tim asks. Shaved head like a bullet? Yeah. Ugly mouth? A mean cop. I know him, Tim says. What about him? He said, if I found you, I should tell him where you are, one way whispers, or he'll kill me. Tim thinks about this. Then he says, so tell him where I am. No. Yeah, Tim says, tell him exactly what I'm doing. Tell him I'm turning myself into Don Huertaro for Art Moreno and my kid. Don Huertaro? Moreno? Kid, just don't tell him about the boat. What boat? Tim sighs. The boat that one way stops him with a hand on his arm. I know, one way says. He gives Tim a stage wink and runs off down the beach. Chapter 67 As Tim packs his shit, he knows what he should do. What he should do is he should get on the boat like tonight and sail away with a cool three mil. You can hide forever and hide goddamn well with three mil in cash, even with a nutball as your captain. You can hole up on some Caribbean island, sip drinks with umbrellas in them, and fuck tanned, long-legged women until you die. 83 years old, tanned, rich, and relaxed, and die of a heart attack in the saddle, man. Give some Caribbean honey a story to tell her grandkids. Leave fucking Don Huartero sitting on his ass. Leave fucking Garuza eating his own liver. Leave Bobby Z's problems to, well, let the dead bury the dead. Adios, motherfuckers. For once in his whole fucked up life, Tim Kearney has the exit, man. He has the loot and he has the exit and he should for once take it. That's what he should do. But even as he's stuffing his sweatshirt into his duffel, dumb fucking Tim Kearney knows he isn't going to do what he should. Big news, right? Like, that's a first. Tim Kearney taking a pass on the smart thing. But that's how you get to be a three-time loser, right? Knowing the smart move and doing the opposite. It ain't for the woman either. He knows that's what they all think. That every con will stick his dick in the ringer for some pussy. Especially that pussy. But that ain't it. Although he sure as shit loves her, he could walk away from her. It's the kid. God damn it, God damn it, God damn it. And it isn't even his fucking kid. Three million dollars and a lifetime out and he's probably gonna get killed for the kid. Because Wartero's gonna whack me anyway, Tim thinks, soon as he has the cash in hand. So what I should do is split. Tim finishes packing, shoves his pistol into his belt and gets in the car. Says so long to the trailer on the beach where he could have lived happily. Just wasn't meant to be, he thinks. Chapter 68 The doorman won't let One Way in and threatens to call the cops. They know me, One Way says. The doorman threatens to just beat the crap out of him, but One Way tells him to just ring Garuza's room or he'll just sneak around and take a dump in the parking lot. But if you do ring his room, One Way says, I'll never forage in your dumpsters again. This is a big sacrifice, because the Ritz-Carlton dumpsters are amongst the finest on the South Coast. It's been One Way's experience that rich people tend to send a lot of food back just to show that they can so the dumpster is a mecca for a gourmand, recycled haute cuisine. The doorman tells One Way to go hide in the shadows somewhere downwind and keep his fucking mouth shut. And it's only about ten minutes later that Garuza comes huffing out and spots him. Garuza hauls him into the parking lot and pushes him up against a Mercedes 510 SL. What? Garuza asks. It's about Bobby Z, Oneway says. You saw him? In the flesh. Fucking where? Fucking Laguna Beach, One Way lies. He's going... Garusa smacks him across the face. He's still there? He asks. How should I know if he's there? One Way answers. I'm here. Was he still there when you left? Oh, yes. Garusa ponders this for a second, then asks, What's he going to do? I heard him over the phone say he's going to turn himself in to Don Huotaro in the morning. Grusel looks around the parking lot, doesn't see anyone, then pulls his automatic and shoves it under one-way's chin. You fucking with me, nutball? he asks. This some kind of trick? It's the gospel truth. Why the fuck would he want to do that? They have his son. His son, Garusa says. I didn't know he had a fucking son. Donnie Word Tara will phone you when the deal's complete, Oneway says. They'll release Moreno at the border. No shit. Completely shitless, Oneway says. Garusa puts his gun away. You ever say anything about this to anyone? I'll find you and really scramble your brains. You got that? Aye, aye, sir. Garuza mumbles fucking nutball and shoves him away. Watches as one way runs off. A few minutes later, Gruza goes back to his suite and says to the guy lying on the bed watching TV, Congratulations, you're a dead fucker. Really? First thing in the morning, Garuza pours himself a tumbler, a single malt scotch from the honor bar and says, Did you know you had a kid? No. Well, I guess you got a kid. So? So nothing. You got a kid is all. Guy shrugs and goes back to watching TV. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Uh, leave a review on Podchaser. You can leave a review for the episode or for the show as a whole. Also, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and other places. But really, Podchaser. Or else Good Pods. Those are the two. Um, BuyMeACoffee.com slash SSCast. Patreon.com slash Single Simulcast. If you're on Good Pods, you can uh, go to my tip jar and leave a tip. Um... All money goes towards getting books and movies for my other show, uh, Hindsight. Um, I want to talk to y'all real quick, just real quick. I promise. Um, about Tim Kearney and good parenting, like being a good father and how, I mean, good being a good parent. It's not being a good father; it's just being a good parent. And how Tim went through so much shit with his dad when he was growing up, being beaten, being abused constantly. His dad was a drunk. Um, Tim decided to act out and that got him sent to prison. And so Tim, when confronted with a kid who's not even his, has the opportunity to be like his dad like he's never been around a kid before the first time he sees kid you know he's never had a kid so the first time he sees him is the first time he has a kid and all of a sudden this kid is in his arms and he has an opportunity to act just as his father did and nobody will blink an eye it would just be understandable you know generational curses But instead, what Tim does, and it's never stated in the book, but what Tim does is that he actively works to do everything the opposite of what his father did. He spends time with his son. He listens to him. He, from the very beginning, he never talks down to him. He takes his thoughts seriously. His six-year-old thoughts he takes seriously. He asks him what he wants to do. He asks him what steps he wants to take. He keeps him involved in his life. It's not that difficult for y'all to succumb to my my dad did this. My dad did that. And so it's the only way I know. My dad abused my mom. So being abusive is the only way I know. My dad hit me. So hitting my kids is the only way I know. Well, there's other ways. You just don't know them yet. But if you try them. I mean, there's a ton of things that you just don't know until you try them. But if you try them, you could save your life. You could save your child's life. Kit's life is going to be drastically different because Tim gave a fuck. Because Tim didn't want to be his dad. But Tim wanted to be Kit's dad. That's big to me. Like I read a lot of books and I see a lot of movies where step parents are just denigrated and looked at as a villain and all that kind of stuff. And so this is the one book for all of its flaws. And I'm not going to front. I've blanked out every racist statement in this book. I blanked out like 99% of the homophobic stuff except for the ones that I couldn't because it was actually a plot line in the book. For all of its flaws. This book is one of the first books I ever read where they take a guy and stick him with somebody else's kid. And he loves that kid like it's his own. And that's what being a step parent is. I don't even call my kids step kids. They're my kids. There's no delineation between the two. And there's tons of people out there. My beloved wife is the same way. We take the kids in and we love them until they feel like they are a part of the family. Unconditionally. With the same grace we would want if we were in that situation. And there's tons of people out there in the world who are doing the same thing and yet and still they get shit on because the the thought is evil stepmother. The thought is Pedophile stepfather. Evil stepfather. This is the first book that really, it doesn't even confront it. It just has him being a good dude. A good man. A good father. And I hope that if you're listening to this book and you're sitting there with generational curses on your shoulder. That you can let them go. And be the man that you're supposed to be. Or be the woman you're supposed to be. Or be the non-binary, gender um, non-conforming person or thing or whatever your pronouns are. That you're supposed to be. Because your kids need you. All the kids need us. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace.